0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Unorthodoxy. My name is Duncan Rabin and I want to talk about something uh, called the order-disorder paradox. Uh, I recently read a really thought-provoking book by psychotherapist Nathan Schwartz Solant, so my my reflections are pretty closely interwoven with his. But obviously, if you want to explore these ideas in more detail, I'd highly recommend uh, that you read uh, Schwartz Solant's book. I'll obviously I'll post a link to it in in the in the show notes, Um, this idea, well, certainly the book is not going to be uh, for everyone, um, but hopefully my brief distillation of of the core ideas of that book will be helpful to you, both for understanding yourself and for understanding others and larger societal shifts and movements. I found it, uh, just this um, order disorder paradox, really quite an amazing thing to think about, as just it's kind of a frame through which you can look at various other pictures. what I can say right at the outset is that this very simple idea has, has tremendously far-reaching implications and applications. The idea of the order-disorder paradox is pretty easy to state, but it'll take a little bit of explaining. Um, the idea is that increasing order in a psychic system creates disorder. The psychic system here obviously doesn't refer to like, you know, if you're a psychic, but it's, it's just a psychological system is probably a better way of thinking of it. So I'll say this idea again, because um, I think it's important. Increasing order in any psychic or psychological system creates disorder. The central idea here is that of a psychic system. A psychic system can be personal, that is it may have something to do with the individual's personal mood, but of course um as mimetic theory stresses and I've obvi- obviously talked about mimetic theory before on this podcast, the idea is that no individual exists in isolation from his or her world or environment. And this means that the psychic system may be that of a group or an organization or a com- company or even a nation. As I said, uh, this order, this order paradox has pretty far-reaching implications and applications. Right at the outset, it's helpful to notice this relationship between order and disorder, because subjectively speaking, we tend only to be aware of one of these at a time. As Schwartz-Salant as writes, From the perspective of the rational ego, order and disorder are experienced only as opposites, with awareness of one tending to preclude awareness of the other and i think this is this is where some of the trouble is we tend to think you know of order and disorder as as somehow separate and and detached from each other but the the idea of looking at the paradox this idea that increasing order in a psychological system creates disorder the paradox uh, re- reveals that there is an intricate relationship between these two things and just being aware of this relationship between order and disorder is somewhat comforting since it takes away the shock we might experience when we move especially from, say, a state of order to disorder. This paradox, this constant dynamic interplay of order and disorder is rooted in a few ideas about how a psychic system, in fact, works. The first idea is that the self is constantly in a process of renewal, and renewal is by definition reliant on shifts and changes that we will find have nothing to do with being static. So the self is not a static thing per se. It's, you know, it's involved in in a kind of uh, mental and existential dynamism. Even the simplest psychic process, like learning a new skill or a new word, involves a psychological shift, or even you could say a shift in consciousness. And it's fair to assume that more drastic changes will involve a more kind of a more sort of increased sense of this um, psychic shift. One of the core dynamics in the human experience, of course, if not the core phenomenological description of the human experience, is that of order and or disorder. We experience the world either in terms of order, which would be a, a kind of a sense of structure, meaningfulness, connectedness, purpose, intentionality, directionality, functionality, and so on, Or we would experience the world in terms of disorder, which is obviously the opposite of order, something along the lines of formlessness, perhaps meaninglessness, disconnection, alienation, purposelessness, a lack of intention, a lack of direction, dysfunction or malfunction, and so on. And the core pivot of this oscillation between order and disorder is the ever-renewing self. This should be of some comfort to you, and it has been uh, for me just to, to notice this, especially if you have to ha- happen to be um, experiencing some kind of disorder. When, when things don't work or don't line up, it's nice to know that maybe the thing you're going through is part of a process rather than the kind of determinate point of your whole existence. The second idea about the psyche that grounds the order-disorder paradox is that the psyche, to a very great extent, involves psychic energy transfer. <laughs> Which, again, I, you know, this sounds a bit odd. It sounds like I'm talking about some, the, you know, the numinous, but it's just a psychological idea um, that there is psychic, psychic energy transfer. This is where uh, things get a little bit more complicated. In my view, uh, no one can be absolutely certain of how psychic energy transfer works, but we can at the very least notice that it is happening. If you're an introvert, for instance, your your threshold for interaction with the external world, specifically with people, is um, much more constrained than it would be for, say, the average extrovert. And so, when you interact with a lot of people, you're likely to find yourself drained. Um, It's not that you didn't enjoy the experience necessarily, it's just that, you know, you get tired. It's as if the world around you has sapped your psychic energy, as if you've experienced a transfer of your energy from yourself to the world. For you, the introvert, the world would feel a bit like, in a way, a leech or some other kind of blood-sucking vampire. That's a really negative uh, way of looking at it, but, you know, sometimes it feels like that. Um... In a way, the, the experience of this um, energy being drained um, is, is an experience of the finitude of energy. It, it feels very dependent, obviously, on your personal experience. So, I mean, just to further this idea, take, for instance, the idea of the conservation of energy as having a, a bearing on psychic life. Many moral frameworks are rooted in this idea, actually, and, and since Western culture has become increasingly influenced by Freud, something of the power of this idea has been forgotten. More specifically, the West seems to be dead set against any form of repression. That, well, in a way, dead set against the conservation of energy, um, and they, that's sort of been blanket labeled as repression, and, and so the result of sort of being dead set against repression is that um, there's been a tendency to frown a little too quickly on the idea of of kind of psychic energy restraint, like restraining it. But restraining psychic energy, which is what um, Carl Jung calls libido, can be a tremendously powerful tool for directing energy in helpful ways. Generally, if, for example, you plan your work around your rest, it's actually easier not to procrastinate. In fact, controlling that sort of <laughs> the procrastination monkey in your mind, um, and and actually deferring deferring the, the sort of pleasure principle in a way, can actually create tremendous energy for work, and then rest happens later. So your restraint of your impulse to rest will actually help to channe- channel your energy into your work. And rather helpfully, this will also then help to channel your energy into resting properly, rather than, say, resting as the a typical procrastinator does with with an, an exaggerated sense of guilt another example of energy transfer would be involved in in giving to say giving to charity this may you know surprise you it's just a very intriguing idea often people are not aware as many ancient cultures were that to give to charity to give any form of a gift that is involves a giving not just of some material substance but also giving of your very self, um, so there, there's not. It's not just like transferring material um, things. It's, it's also about transferring psychic energy. And the trouble in the West is that we tend to see things so materially that we forget that there is a significant role played by psychic energy here. Sometimes giving to charity may feel draining to you because the thing wanted is not you. Um, and your precious time, but only the physical object or money. And obviously, this would miss what charity actually is. Also in the West, we're fairly generally insensitive to this fact of psychic energy transfer, as some of these examples uh, might show. You know, law of the conservation of energy, or the idea of conservation of energy, reveals, you know, if, if we're not actually aware that we need to manage our energy... Uh, we're going to spend it in in pretty careless ways. And yet, so I mean, obviously, if we're not aware of this energy transfer, we're going to live in a way that's not necessarily very healthy. And the point here that I'm making is is that energy transfer plays a huge role, a very important one in our mental health. Actually, one of the better ways to think about time management, I've found, is is Actually, to think of it not just in terms of managing time, because time is really not something you can manage. It's kind of something that just runs and does its own thing, and what we're doing all the time is battling to keep up with it. Time, in a sense, manages us more than we can manage it. But what we can manage, and indeed what we're able to manage, is our energy, which is the way that we spend, not our time per se, but ourselves. When we're aware of energy transfer, we start to become aware of the way that our lives feel, especially in terms of the issue of order and disorder. We can then start asking, where is the energy going? When we do experience ourselves in a state of order, then we can notice that even in the flow of it all, even in our state of, say, joy or being energized, we ourselves are being spent And that's, you know, that's often a really good thing. That's part of life. Uh, Life is there to be spent. But we need to realize that energy is getting away from us. So, well, welcome to finitude, folks. This is how we might learn to expect that disorder is going to follow order. Order is wonderful, but we're, we're finite beings with finite energies. And when that energy is up, we're going to end up in a space of disorder. Of course, it's not always possible to identify exactly where our energy has gone. Sometimes it's just good to know that it has gone to recognize that that's what's happened Um, and also to recognize that we are conduits for this energy and as a result we're going to be deeply affected by whatever energy transfer we just happen to experience. With this in mind, it's here that I want to talk about creation myths. Because order and disorder are profoundly and powerfully central to so many creation myths, Plato, for instance, notes that chaos is often present in the creative impulse. Uh, sometimes the various energies in the cosmos exist with an alarming lack of proportion. And then you you could look at myths in, of, say, Mesopotamia, or in Zoroastrianism, or in the Bible, or even in in Hinduism. I've, I've read you know some Maori. Mythology, which also uh, contains this, this, in a way, this dialectic of order and disorder. So, order and chaos are, in a way, in these ancient mythologies, always lovers. They're not strictly speaking antithetical, but simply different sides of the same kind of coin. And, And I point this out to note a very simple but powerful idea. Order requires disorder because it is in the interaction of order and disorder that creation happens. That that I think creativity happens. In the I Ching, for instance, life arises out of the boundary between order and chaos. It's easy to see these two things, order and disorder, only as part of a dualistic system, but. The essence of them, as I understand them at least, and I may be departing from Schwarz-Solant's view here, the essence of this paradox is that it holds together within a kind of reconciling or mediating third. Something holds these weird, sometimes disturbing opposites together. And that thing, at least from a psychological perspective, is the self. Although sometimes we are so easily caught up in the order and the disorder uh, themselves that we forget this mediating or reconciling third party. In other words, we forget ourselves. We lose ourselves. We become over identified with either order or disorder, and uh, that obviously is is a mistake. Both, you know, at a psychological and then spiritual level, because there really is no division between those two. The the gist of what I'm saying should be clear enough, though, um, by now. We can find this mediating third, this self that exists apart from the pendulum swing between order and chaos. And when we do, the order or the chaos then will seem less like an experience that the I is having than it is an experience had by, say, me. So in a way, I'm creating a, a little bit of a, a distance between I, the real self, uh, and me, the, you know the transient aspect of, of the self. In any case, the moral of this story is simply that creation, especially the creation of the self, the this transformative experience cannot happen without the interplay of both order and disorder. So of course the this order disorder paradox, the moral of it, the point of it is precisely this idea that order turns into disorder and then vice versa. When you've achieved well, for instance or you know you've completed a task finished off a season moved house undergone some kind of change order is going to turn into disorder and this disorder will feel less than desirable most of the time and because it's it's pretty uncomfortable the the primary reason for this is that order is a state of undifferentiation it's where the boundaries between the self and the world are blurry And this leads to a fairly uncomfortable sense of vulnerability. The more at one you are with the chaotic and messy world, the more you're going to feel, in a way, at the mercy of everything in the world. Undifferentiation is a state, I would say, of not feeling loved, because love is the affirmation of being. So undifferentiation uh, is felt as a kind of non-being, within being, or a kind of negation of being. And yet, It's precisely the origin of pure potential and a possibility of a new kind of being or even a new kind of consciousness. This is actually something that Jung suggests in one of the visions recorded uh, in his rather odd but deeply profound Red Book. I've been reading it uh, over the last couple of months. I'm not through the whole thing, but it's just... It's just mind-boggling. Um, I don't even think I understand it fully yet, but um, it's it's been a great experience. So Jung's Red Book is, yeah, for those of you interested, you should check it out. Uh, in that book, he writes, this is this paragraph I actually read this morning, which I, I just thought, hey, this is exactly what I wanted to uh, share in this podcast. He writes, um, because I have fallen into the source of chaos, into the primordial beginning, I myself become smelted anew in the connection with the primordial beginning, which at the same time is what has been and what is becoming. At first, I become the primordial beginning in myself, but because I am part of the matter and formation of the world, I also come into the primordial beginning of the world in the first place. (laughs) As I said, it's pretty odd, Um, but... But amazingly brilliant, just as an image to think that you know when you enter into a space of of disorder or disarray, you're in some sense becoming identified once again with the primordial chaos that this, that sort of uh, gave rise to creation in the first place. Obviously, uh, depending on how you see that happening, but but there's a, a kind of amazing connection there. And what this strange passage also suggests uh, fits very well with what uh, schwarz says, which is that this order-disorder shift happens both at the personal and at the social, societal, macro, macro kind of global level, levels. So an example, South Africa went through this massive transition in recent history that most people are aware of, and it went through this transition remarkably peacefully um it was really ordered there was no major conflict and which is i mean there was a little bit of conflict around the kind of major transition but it wasn't m- massive but when south africans look at where we are now <laughs> what the general opinion would be and i don't think it's far from the truth it's completely chaotic it's messy and it's uncomfortable and it smacks, a lot of it smacks of a kind of degeneracy, especially when we look at, uh, you know, how the government is, is operating, all the kind of corruption that's going on there. It's it's just shocking and, and, and it's not great, <laughs> but maybe it's not totally surprising when, when you look at the fact that this is coming after a, a period of, of tremendous order and, in a way, harmony. In every psychic system, nations included, order is bound to be followed by disorder. Actually, I'd say that the world right now is feeling the profoundly disordered aftershock of globalization. Globalization has meant that all the boundaries have kind of blurred, and there's been this assumption that this will produce tremendous harmony. But that's not really happened. What we've done is kind of move into this space of tremendous uh, disarray, disorder, disharmony. Um, I think America is also a profound symbol of, of um, moving from a kind of state of order to where it is right now, disorder. But as I said, this is a global phenomenon. I think that globally we're in a space of of trying to figure out um, what, what to do with the mess of existence, uh, with the mess of having our, all of our boundaries kind of erased. Um, but yeah, as I said, like maybe this is part of the journey. This is part of the process because you know every system involves this interplay of order and disorder, and they're going to need to to uh, kind of play with each other to produce a kind of I don't know, like a renewed sense of self in the world for people. And maybe it's maybe it's a sign of of some kind of. Uh, Spiritual transformation. I don't think of this in purely evolutionary terms, and you know, maybe things are not going to get better uh, for for a lot of people. But maybe there's a way of seeing it as as not just you know just pure horror. I'm aware, of course, that we live in this era, uh, especially within the the contemporary uh, consciousness. Let's call it the global consciousness. That is naturally opposed to disorder. I think that people are naturally opposed to disorder. And the danger of just being opposed to disorder is that it can create enormous pressure for us to always be living in a state of order. Um, when things are not going well, you might feel this uh this pressure to get your you know get your shit together. And I don't even think that order is always completely possible. I think it's really important to to just realize that this is this is life. It's a bit messy. And the good news is that it's out of the primordial chaos that order is created again. We need, however, to be looking for what uh, can balance the scales a bit. Um, we need to have one foot in order and one foot in disorder. And when we do this, we stand a chance of being able to um, take both together and, and in so doing, we can actually rise above it. We may, in the process, be able to actually weather the storms when we can watch order and disorder um, play together at a little bit of a distance. We can actually step outside of them. Disorder, in particular, looks like anxiety, fear, emptiness, alienation, anger. It can lead to a kind of hypervigilance, if you look at the, the psychology of it. Um, envy, you know, looking at people who are in a state of order and and thinking, oh, I wish I was in the state of order that they're in, um, but it yeah, disorder can lead to despair, withdrawal, or any kind of, uh, you know, what we would call so-called negative emotions, not because they are bad emotions, but because they're not necessarily pleasant. But these then become signs of transition, signs that something else might be going on. Jung has this wonderful saying, he says that when God appears in the human psyche, he puts his left foot forward. And what this means is that our potential growth or even our rebirth is often indicated by psychic states that are not pleasant. But if we simply reject these states, we might be missing something, namely the chance to, to be part of something creative. Um, we'll be, in a sense, missing a, an opportunity to remake ourselves. It's good to remember that entropy is often primordial information. That's a nice way for, you know, just to think about entropy. It's pre-organized information. When we're faced with um, this chaotic information, it's helpful to simply sit back and watch and seek and search. And at some point, we'll perhaps start to notice that order is emerging again. Or perhaps we'll take a more active role, actively moving the pieces of chaos around all these primordial bits of information to try and find new connections that produce coherence and clarity and, of course, order. You'll probably need to you know, figure out how this works for your own existence, your own experience, um, but for me it's just a really amazingly helpful and encouraging thing to know that maybe the sense of psychological disorder isn't completely without merit. If you read any story, novel or short story or Bible story, chances are you'll start to see that order, that is real order, never really arises without its opposite. And that, I guess, is because these stories mirror life. That's existence. We are all creating something. Like God, we're we're all trying to say, let there be light, when there is just this kind of prim- primordial darkness and chaos. I love that line, by the way, just that, that biblical idea, let there be light. It's really powerful. Light In a great deal of mythology is a symbol of a new awareness, a coming to consciousness. And this coming to consciousness, coming into a new kind of consciousness, is a kind of deliverance, because it pulls us out of a state of primordial chaos. As I see it, this idea goes against the usual response to chaos, which is to simply get busy, to act quickly, to jump into something else. Um, That's what Often people do uh, when they're in a state of chaos, they you know grab the next thing that might be an answer. I've, I've described this before as, as kind of like when you're falling from an airplane, you might be grabbing at clouds instead of realizing that there's a parachute. Um, the panic may actually produce a search for the wrong answer. What I think we should do instead um, of you know, grabbing at clouds is enter into a space of searching for new ways of seeing things. We're looking for light, for a new awareness first. That's our primary, that should be, I think, our primary goal. And that goes again for the personal uh, search as well as for what society in general uh, should be doing. Once we've found this, it's easier to know that there's a way to get our actions to actually align with our own consciousness. This is really, I, I think this idea has tremendous merit, uh, simply because what, what I've noticed is that when people especially are in a state of disorder politically, they will grasp at anything that, that just happens to be present, and it's not necessarily the best thing. Um, laws and policies are sometimes made too quickly because there's a lack of reflection, a lack of, of consciousness around the, the deeper complexities of problems. And yeah, when we get in touch with, with the complexities, when we're able in a sense to stand outside the order chaos dialectic, when we become the mediating third in this kind of uh, triunity of ideas, we actually are then able, I feel, to properly take part in creation, the creation of our own lives, the creation of the kingdom of heaven. So here is the summary of all of this. One, our experience of life is an experience of order and disorder. Two, order and disorder exist on a continuum. You could see them as something, part of something like a pendulum. Then three, because of this, order becomes disorder, and disorder has the potential to become order. Four, so in a way, we shouldn't be shocked when disorder happens. Instead, we could use the disorder as a kind of opportunity to re-evaluate our way of seeing things, our existing way of seeing things. This applies, of course, to personal concerns as well as to social and societal shifts. And then five, and it is in this re-evaluation of our perceptions that we all have an opportunity to create a new order or to discover a new kind of awareness. And in so doing, we can participate more consciously in Creative act in in acts of love in bringing to being um, the creation of the self the creation of a better world and this may even be in a conversation uh, maybe something simple you may be speaking to someone and and in that moment you may be just trying to find order trying to find a way not to eradicate chaos but to work with it and within it so that is it from me for this episode thank you very much as always, for listening to this podcast. I hope it's been a little bit enlightening. You can support me at patreon.com forward slash unorthodoxy, and you could help me uh, keep up this journey of trying to navigate order and chaos in the world. Uh, I'd really appreciate it. That would be great. So there you go. Take care, everyone.